Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation! Give me a golf course. 70 courses! Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach yoga. How about a garden tour? Apple Park. Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Tired of pickup truck bed chaos? Meet Decked, game-changing USA-made full bed-length drawers for tools and gear. Waterproof, dustproof, lockable, secure. Whether you're working, hunting, fishing, camping, or just getting out of town. And introducing Decked Deco cases. Tough, modular, problem-solving cases built for the truck, job site, campsite, or garage. Say goodbye to random bins and tie-downs. Order now at Decked.com slash iHeart for free shipping. Decked, your truck, your rules. Decked.com forward slash iHeart. In the first episodes of this series, we established how modern warfare and technology work hand in hand. This dyad was obvious in both Nazi Germany and ISIS's propaganda campaigns. These groups experienced victories on physical battlefields by turning the radio and the internet into weapons of mass manipulation and destruction. But the ways in which war is fought aren't always so overt. The weapons of attack may actually be hidden They could be masked as innocent pop culture moments, a picture, a funny video, a meme even. These are the new weapons of like war. I'm Peter Singer. And I'm Emerson Brooking. This is part four, the unreality machine. First, he was green. Oh, speaking of Donald Trump, are you familiar with this meme called Pepe the Frog? Second, His name was Pepe the Frog. This Pepe the Frog thing. I posted a meme that someone had created of me as Pepe the Frog. And apparently there's Pepe the Frog of everybody. And third, he was just a dumb internet meme. The first thing we're going to talk about today is why Pepe is back in the news. But most of you probably know it's Pepe the Frog. Today we have a look at Pepe the Frog. When artist Matt Fury created Pepe all the way back in 2005, The frog was just supposed to be a chilled out dude. Pepe is like, he's a really personal character to me uh, as I created him. And uh, you know, he's just like a stoned frog dude that likes to uh, hang out, eat snacks and like fart with his buddies. To his supporters, he was both a joke and a badge of honor. It's mostly used by young men who are poking and causing trouble on social media. To his critics, he was a blazing symbol of hatred A popular cartoon character turned internet meme, Pepe the Frog, has been added to the Anti-Defamation League's database of hate symbols. By 2016, 
Pepe was the new face of President Trump's online army. It made little sense why one cartoon frog would represent such a vast body of meanings. But as it turns out, it was never really about the frog. Instead, Pepe was just a vessel. He was the product of an evolutionary cycle that moved at digital warp speed, piling convoluted layer upon layer of meaning on Pepe. I think what's appealing about Pepe is that he combines this impossible mixture of innocence and evil. Like he has this kind of knowing smile while he's performing acts that are really atrocious. So how had he turned into a vehicle for spreading hatred online? When Pepe was drawn into existence in 2005, he was a laid back cartoon character known for smoking weed and hanging out with his friends. He featured most prominently in Matt Fury's comic, The Boys Club. At that point, Pepe was totally unthreatening. In fact, he looked like a cross between a Muppet and a poorly drawn Simpsons character. In the comics, Pepe had a variety of interests. On one page, he spoke Spanish. Pages later, he was dressed in a baggy shirt and a backwards baseball cap, going by the alias Young Peasy. He even revealed a vulnerable side, but always ironically. For instance, sobbing on one page because his phone had died. Pepe's versatility made him perfect for his role in the comic, but it also made him a ripe candidate for the meme treatment. All it took was one internet post for him to go viral. Like millions of other pictures and videos before him, Pepe's likeness was first shared on the anonymous image board website 4chan. Do we even know who is this 4chan person it, or website? If Reddit is a fully functioning online democracy, then 4chan is basically Lord of the Flies. 4chan is the largest English image board. It's a community of 12 million people. And it's sort of like known as, uh, as kind of like the meme factory or something, right? Is that right? 4chan and 8chan are hotbeds for white nationalist terror. Flonty, what is 4chan? He replied to me, I suggest you don't go there if you don't want to see gross things. It's an internet board. The post featured a panel from the Boys Club comic. It showed Pepe urinating in a public bathroom, but with his pants pulled all the way down to his ankles. When questioned why by another character in the comic, Pepe simply answered, feels good, man. 4chan users identified with the frog owning a shameless act. The post grew in popularity. More and more people shared the image. With the most basic editing software, Pepe could then be made to look like anyone or anything. And users ran with it, creating their own unique renditions of the frog. Pepe donned everything from a blue shirt to a baggy suit to hot pink lingerie. He was thin or fat, sad or smug or angry. Oftentimes, Pepe was shared in good fun, dressed up like Batman, Borat, or the rapper Nicki Minaj. But other times, Pepe was blatantly political, designed to look like Donald Trump, Vladimir Putin, or even Adolf Hitler. And the latter wasn't a fluke as celebrities like Katy Perry shared Pepe across their own Twitter and Instagram feeds, 4chan users feared he was being co-opted by the normies. Normal people with no appreciation for the internet's subterranean culture. So they made a concerted effort to reclaim Pepe. To make him less socially acceptable, they turned the frog into a literal Nazi. Pepe memes laced with Hitler quotes, swastikas, and other Third Reich icons flooded social media, convincing reporters and politicians alike that the meme was anti-Semitic. 
Pepe was thus successfully linked to white nationalism, denounced by most journalists in the American left. For all the irony, Pepe was then embraced unironically by real neo-Nazis, who finally had a hip symbol to call their own. The notorious white supremacist leader Richard Spencer even took to wearing a lapel pin of Pepe in public. You might remember the instantly viral video where Spencer attempted to explain Pepe's symbolic value to his cause. It's uh, Pepe's become kind of a symbol. That is until a passerby punched him in the face. As Pepe was rejected by Democrats and popular media, he became the perfect symbol for those who felt themselves rejected by the mainstream. Another example of this online interplay of irony and nationalism is the OK hand signal. This began as a simple gesture used by scuba divers to signal they were OK while underwater. But in the mid-2010s, users of 4chan cooked up a plan to troll the mainstream media into reporting that the symbol was actually a hidden white nationalist code. But the joke ended up being so successful that many among the far right did actually adopt the symbol. They wanted to bamboozle the media and troll everyone by making this a white nationalist symbol. And they did this by saying that it looked like a W and a P for white power. Sure enough, as it normally happens when something is born on 4chan, white nationalists did end up using the OK hand sign. And now you have groups like the Proud Boys who use it as one of their main symbols. And then when people ask them, hey, isn't that a white nationalist symbol? They go, come on, come on, you guys are crazy liberal. So when you think about the way the internet works, a swastika isn't going to convince that many people who aren't already firmly in the camp of white nationalism and neo-Nazism. Much more dangerous is the use of symbols like what Pepe was. Much like the OK hand gesture, the wink and nod of a cartoon frog allowed a rich but easily deniable symbolism. Trump's ever-growing army of internet trolls wielded Pepe like a weapon, poking and prodding at mainstream journalists and Clinton supporters. And as soon as someone took the bait, calling them out as racists and white supremacists, the trolls would respond with smug outrage. How, they said, could Pepe be seen as anything more than a dumb cartoon frog? But he was more than a dumb frog. Pepe and other seemingly innocent memes on the internet had become not just symbols that you could use out in the open, but crucial recruitment tools for domestic extremists. Members of far-right organizations extended their reach and recruited targets by way of funny memes and pop culture references. If we can pack an article's worth of information in merely an image and then make it funny, when you make it funny, their guard goes down. Vulnerable young men who posted online about being alone and friendless were prime targets. These recruiters offered open ears and conversations in the open and then in private chat rooms. Groups based on division as an ideology fostered a sense of community. Then they began to soft pedal hateful political agendas and conspiracy theories. They would tell their recruits that their community and the things that they shared, like Pepe, were under attack. And what do you do when you're under attack? You attack back. But the problem is that the way you're drawn into it isn't all at once, but little bit by little bit. And all of a sudden, even if you didn't necessarily truck with any of their ideas, 
you had common ground and a sense of familiarity. And over time, it was things like this, which really helped explain this pipeline of radicalization and extremism, where people who just started out as part of a certain internet subculture became more and more sympathetic to extremist ideas. Pepe was the symbolic bridge that linked internet trolls and the new white nationalist alt-right movement that was lining up behind Trump. There is a shared ideology and a shared view of the world which brings these people together. And that shared ideology can sometimes be terribly destructive and poisonous. It becomes much easier to contemplate things that you never would have contemplated before. And when Trump won the election, Pepe became the representative of a successful, hard-fought campaign for the Oval Office. On Inauguration Day in Washington, D.C., buttons and printouts of Pepe were visible in the crowd. Vendors sold hats printed in the same style as those worn by military veterans of Vietnam, Korea, and World War II. They proudly pronounced these wearers as meme war veterans. Please raise your right hand and repeat after me. I, Donald John Trump, do solemnly swear. I, Donald John Trump, do solemnly swear. That I will faithfully execute. That I will faithfully execute. The office of President of the United States. The office of President of the United States. Congratulations, Mr. President. In the months that followed, Pepe continued his evolution popping up on signs and clothes at the events of the far right. There, camouflage-clad militiamen marched alongside gangly white teenagers. You're looking at live pictures out of Charlottesville, Virginia. This is where violent clashes have broken out between white nationalists and counter-protests there. When a domestic terrorist drove his car into a crowd in Charlottesville, Virginia, and killed a peaceful demonstrator, it was discovered, perhaps unsurprisingly, that his Facebook page was peppered with Pepe memes. So was the symbol of Pepe really racist? The answer is yes. And was Pepe also an innocent, silly joke? Also, yes. It's not easy to tell when a meme has been co-opted, especially if you aren't spending all your day online. One big tell is if you see a group of people We're all sharing the same image, or the image is a profile picture, or they're sharing different versions of the image. If you see a community of people all using this meme, and you yourself just think it's funny, but you have no idea what it means, you should understand that there is a deeper meaning there. And if you use this symbol, you might be helping their cause, even if you have no idea what their cause is. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. 
Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash stereo right now. NetSuite.com slash stereo. NetSuite.com slash stereo. Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save 40% site-wide. Get 40% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. To truly understand Pepe, one first needs to understand memes. Memes are the vessels for ideas. Uh, A meme is rarely funny or scary or inspiring all on its own. They are what you make of them, what you project onto them. And according to evolutionary biologist Richard Dawkins, who coined the term, they are the genes of culture. Memes are alive only so long as they exist in the human mind. For memes to be forgotten means that they go extinct, the same as a species that can no longer pass on its genetic code. But that doesn't fully encompass the cultural impact of memes and their life cycle on the internet. It feels almost trite to say, but certain memes are responsible for horrific acts of violence, for deaths. In March 2019, a white nationalist gunman in Christchurch, New Zealand, walked into a mosque and murdered 51 Muslim congregants. He live-streamed the whole attack through what was then called 8chan, a forum board, where he'd, he'd bragged about the attack before he carried it out. In real time, even before his attack was over, there were people who were taking images and gifts from this atrocity, and they were shaping it into memes, which they were then sharing 
back onto this forum board. They were already mythologizing this terrible attack even before it was over. Some of it was grounded in white nationalist and white extremist ideas, but others wanted to do these same things so they could elicit the same online reaction. They were driven because they wanted to get likes and online clout, even if they never lived to see it. And they were more than willing to contemplate murdering people in order to get that little bit of clout from their small, anonymous community. During his sentencing, the Christchurch shooter flashed the OK hand symbol in the courtroom. Just like Pepe, a transformation that had started as a joke in the dark corners of the internet had woven into a horrific real-world tragedy. Both military officials and internet trolls alike have recognized the power of memes and their viral transmission online. And whoever wields that power best determines not just what is popular and seen online, but what reality looks like. Militaries around the world use memes to recruit and catch the attention of young people. U.S. Marine Corps Major Michael Prosser was one of the first to predict that memes and the internet would have a psychological impact on war. In a thesis titled Memetics, a Growth Industry in U.S. Military Operations, he argued that armed conflict would be increasingly decided by dueling ideologies on a non-linear battlefield. Militaries would now have to track the memes their enemies were using and counter them, not just with missiles and bullets, but with more memes of their own. And so, an industry devoted to military memetics was born. The goal? To analyze and weaponize memes to gain an advantage in an invisible information war. You have to remember that a lot of this memetic warfare, the sending memes back and forth, it's not really about the parties that are participating in that little conflict. Instead, it's about the audience. When Russia sent memes to Ukraine while Russian and Ukrainian soldiers were fighting to the death, that wasn't really intended to push the Ukrainian government in one direction or another. Instead, it was intended to capture the attention of other people who were watching around the world. Memes are little bits of ammunition in this tug of war, this like war, which increasingly decides so much of our reality. Pepe was just one of the first memes to go viral in a way that wildly shaped our political climate and the credibility that we assign to online movements. But in this new era of cyber warfare, Pepe certainly won't be the last. So how do we tell if the memes we're laughing at online are just innocent moments in pop culture or weapons being woven into viral influence and disinformation campaigns. There are two basic principles to be on the lookout for. The first is believability. Just like memes like Pepe build upon an image or reference already circulating in the culture, the most successful falsehoods play on existing prejudices, seeking to add another layer to a narrative that already exists in the target's mind. Take, for example, the KGB's Operation Infection. 
The Cold War claimed that the U.S. military invented AIDS. A Soviet military publication claims the virus that causes AIDS leaked from a U.S. Army laboratory conducting experiments in biological warfare. This AIDS disinformation campaign didn't invent a new threat. Instead, it leveraged people's fears about a well-known but then mysterious disease. And that's where the second principle, extension, comes into play. The most devastating lies are those that reach vast numbers of people across an extended period of time. The more people they reach, the longer they linger and continue to spread in new and evolving ways, sustaining themselves by constantly changing themselves. And the longer these beliefs circulate on the internet, evolving, undergoing memification, and rooting themselves in day-to-day -day discourse, the harder they are to defeat. I've had the opportunity to talk to a lot of government representatives whose job is to monitor for this very stuff. I can say that they take it very seriously. Governments around the world are much more aware of how speech in these dark circles can so quickly lead to tragedy and violence. But the problem is just the speed. It takes minutes. It took minutes in the case of the Christchurch massacre for a live stream video to receive its first few thousand shares, screen captures and downloads, which enabled it to be spread to many more sources. When the initial source of the Facebook live stream was shut down, it was able to live indefinitely on the internet, and it was able to inspire people. And there was very little at that point that governments could do about it. If you don't catch this stuff in the first few minutes, it is basically impossible to keep other people from seeing it. For better or worse, our existence will become more digital. As we live more of our lives online, we will come in contact with more of these viral influence campaigns because they never really die out. I have a frog and his name is Pepe. Around the garden he hops and hops. He's very green and he has no tail. And that's where we'll go next on Like War, to how the fake news machine works and its unusual beginnings. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. 
But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash stereo right now. NetSuite.com slash stereo. NetSuite.com slash stereo. Hi, it's Gabby Reese, and this podcast is powered by Laird Superfood, a brand that's truly close to my heart because it was founded in my kitchen by my husband, big wave surfer Laird Hamilton. Today, Laird Superfood boasts an amazing lineup of products, all crafted with the highest quality plant-based ingredients. Think functional mushrooms, real fruits and veggies. What makes us unique? We're committed to using only real ingredients, no artificial and no natural flavors. Two of my absolute favorites are prebiotic daily greens, really great tasting, and we've added some mushrooms to support your gut even a little more. Then there's our instant latte lineup. We've got instant mocha, instant latte, chai. If you want to discover Laird Superfood, you can do it at your local retailer on Amazon or at LairdSuperfood.com. And if you put in the code GABBY2024 on our website, you'll get an exclusive 20% off your first purchase. We start with an egregious example of just fake, phony, fraudulent news as always. Whether that's creating fake news or creating botnets to spread fake news. Fake news is lies and propaganda told for a political or commercial purpose. Fake news. We've heard it used and abused countless times in countless ways. The phrase has made its way across social media, onto the most influential stages in the world. That was just fake news by NBC, uh, which gives a lot of fake news lately. In presidential speeches. I want you all to know that we are fighting the fake news. Even testimony on Capitol Hill. But this part of our information disorder wasn't always so impressive. In fact, it had far more meager beginnings. We're going back to the unlikely rise of the so-called fake news machine. So let's call him Dimitri, just a guy making a living in the small town of Vellis, Macedonia. I've wrote that the celebrity wants to kill Trump. The Queen of England wants to meet Trump. Trump and Putin had a secret meeting in Mexico. Dimitri wasn't his real name. He kept that a secret from reporters when they broke the news of his operation in 2016. But what we do know is that he was living in the small town of Velez, Macedonia. And at the age of 18, he was running a fake news empire. Sandwiched between Greece and Bulgaria, many Americans would be hard-pressed to find Velez, let alone Macedonia, on a map. Velez was once a thriving industrial town part of the former communist Yugoslavia. By the 2000s, though, most of its factories had shuttered and now lay derelict and abandoned. Almost a quarter of the population was unemployed. And of those who did manage to find work, they were lucky to make the equivalent of 400 US dollars a month. Like almost every other teenager in Velez, Dimitri dreamed of a better life. 
He fantasized about owning a better laptop, a new car, even a house. Some of his peers tried to make pocket change by working security or bussing tables in local cafes. But it was hard to make money with those real jobs. They would have to look outside the norm if they wanted to live a more lavish lifestyle. They would have to look to the internet and to America. When the fake news boom started, it was innocent enough. A duo known throughout Velez as the Healthy Brothers had made a simple website. There, they shared diet and beauty tips, advocating for natural remedies, like putting a bar of soap between the bed sheets to stop nightly leg cramps. If it sounds like a crock, that's because it was. The Healthy Brothers didn't have an ounce of science to back up their advice. Every single post was a lie. But every month, the website's Facebook page managed to reel in 10 million unique visitors from around the world. The money they made off of Google ads on each post was enough to buy the Healthy Brothers BMWs. And in a close-knit community like Velez, that didn't stay unnoticed for long. Soon, dozens, and then hundreds of other boys in the town started following suit. They built basic WordPress sites and started posting everything from celebrity gossip to sports to political news. They pulled their content from blogs and conspiracy sites, scouring the internet for the most provocative headlines. Then they plagiarized them for their own websites. The sorts of websites that Dimitri ran, if you weren't paying that close attention, they could look like normal news websites. One of his popular domains was called USA Daily News 24. His sites appeared alongside others with names like The Political Insider that were spreading salacious headlines that often had nonsense written below them. Then came the ripest target of all, the 2016 U.S. presidential election. One of the early hits was when they published an article about then-candidate Donald Trump. The story claimed that Trump had slapped an audience member during a campaign rally in North Carolina. The article lit up with likes and shares from American voters across Facebook. Of course, the assault never happened, but that didn't matter. The boys of Velez had discovered internet gold. Americans had a seemingly insatiable thirst for political stories. Even a sloppy, clearly plagiarized jumble of text and ads could rack up hundreds of thousands of shares. When these stories first started coming out, a lot of people sort of ask, how did these teens in rural Macedonia know so much about American politics? And the answer is that if you were a young person and you'd grown up with access to the internet anywhere in the world, chances are that you'd been exposed to American ideas and lessons about American society. So these Macedonian teenagers, they knew that Americans loved clicking on the craziest stories. Soon, an entire fake news industry was thriving in Velez. And then it added another industry to advise it. Clickbait coaches taught young Macedonians how to make their websites more professional and how to pick stories most likely to go viral. Mirko Sesolkovsky was one of those internet marketing coaches. He taught his students how to write headlines, advising them to find legitimate stories trending in the U.S. and then make them even more sensational. Months before the 2016 election actually took place, He helped the teens build out their Facebook networks with a core group of readers. They built trust by first posting relatively normal political stories. 
and then began publishing more and more outrageous lies. The Republicans love the veterans. They love the veterans. They respect them, uh, I think, the most of anyone. And what you do is you say Obama donated 300 million to Hillary, Clamp Hillary Clinton's campaign that he took from the veterans. And people will open that immediately, saying why. In 2016, it was Trump voters who were the easy picking. They tended to be older and more distrustful of wider society. I think that nothing could beat Trump supporters when it comes to you know, social media engagement. And that's why we stick to Trump. The addictive nature of these stories wasn't an accident. Mirko had it down to a science. In his words, articles should be, quote, 80% truth, 20% not truth. If all the stories were true, they would be no different than the regular media. The Macedonians' websites and Facebook pages wouldn't have any added value or generate any traffic. And if all the stories were false, even readers with low media literacy would figure out that they were being lied to. To reach the biggest audience, the stories needed to fall somewhere in the middle. So over the course of about six months, Dimitri built an empire of 50 websites and the sorts of headlines claiming that Obama was born in Kenya, that Obama was plotting a military coup, that Oprah had said, quote, some white people have to die, that Hillary Clinton was in a coma. None of the stories were true, but they were based on lies that had already circulated the internet for years. They were stories that Americans were already familiar with, and most importantly, stories that many wanted to be true. People like fake stories because reality is boring. If you don't have to tell the truth, you can create much more interesting stories and you can make them neater, more compact. You can tell powerful, compelling, attention-grabbing stories. And that's exactly what these false news merchants did so effectively. These false stories were a lot more popular than the real ones. There was the headline that Pope Francis had endorsed Donald Trump. This story in the three months before the election got about two million engagements on Facebook. And to uh, put that into perspective, the top performing story from the New York Times in the same period only got about 350,000 engagements. With each new engagement, likes, posts, and shares, money rolled in for Mirko and his students. I, I had students with a revenue of uh, north of 100,000 per month, US dollars. So Facebook was the way that these Macedonian teens and other false news merchants got their clicks. But it wasn't Facebook that was delivering most of the money. That was Google. And these websites were absolutely plastered with ads. Ads that had been placed there by Google AdSense which is the main engine that drives uh, advertising on the internet. Google's advertising business model made the fake news boom profitable. Here's how it works. Companies, big or small, pay Google to advertise for them. Google then optimizes these ads across any number of websites, catering to users based on their past clicks, political leaning, income, age, or any number of identifiers. And with each visit to a website, the owner of the page gets a small percentage of the ad money. That's how Dimitri and the other Macedonian boys turned clicks into a seemingly non-stop flow of cash. 
They may have only been making a few cents per click, but with millions of people visiting their pages, those cents added up quickly. Soon the best of them like Dimitri were pulling in tens of thousands of dollars a month. The average US internet user was basically a walking bag of cash, their clicks worth four times the advertising dollars of anyone else in the world. And the best part, they were gullible. It didn't bother Dimitri that the stories he wrote, posted, and shared to Facebook had no basis in reality. Why should it have? Americans ate the stories up. And there was no crackdown, nothing to prevent him from posting whatever he wanted online. The Macedonian teens were even supported by their own local government. The mayor ironically compared their success to the American dream. After all, the teens hadn't broken any laws within their home country. They paid taxes. They were contributing to an economy in desperate need. They had no agenda besides making money, a practice akin to entrepreneurialism that America usually celebrates. That's why Dimitri says, they're not the ones to blame. I know who is the responsible one for the election, and that's the American people. I think the American people take their politics not as serious as uh, other countries do. No offense to Americans, but we don't believe such uh, hoax news. And he's not exactly wrong. No one in Velez would have become professional fake news propagators without the millions of clicks from Americans, nor the social media business model that helped drive their false news viral. After the 2016 election, the Macedonian teens became celebrities of a sort. NBC, CNN, even Cambridge University released reports of what they had done. But they were only symptoms and symbols of something larger. When I think about the list of individuals and institutions that were responsible for the 2016 election turning out the way it did and being flooded with dis and misinformation, I rank the efforts of teenage Macedonians trying to make a buck pretty far down the list. In the years since Dimitri's fake news movement influenced the American election, more than 70 other countries have experienced political disinformation campaigns. Misinformation from Macedonian teenagers is mostly gone, but what's replaced them is a lot worse. New forces far more malicious than teenagers trying to earn pocket change, have learned not just how profitable, but how powerful pushing false information online actually can be. These forces include governments in Vietnam, Ethiopia, and Guatemala. National disinformation campaigns have been used to discredit political opponents, silence dissenting views, and interfere in domestic and foreign affairs. In Indonesia, political disinformation shot up 61% in the months before the country's 2019 presidential election. Hackers from Russia and China were accused of trying to manipulate and modify Indonesia's electoral roll of nearly 200 million voters. Infiltrating the national electoral database became a badge of honor for local hackers. Rumors of fake ballots and ghost voters went viral on social media. There is now a thriving billion-dollar industry focused on disinformation for hire. And this stuff largely takes place outside of the United States. As the U.S. has cracked down on fake news publishers like those teens in Macedonia, so have other countries around the globe. 
Organizations like Mafindo in Indonesia collect data and track the spread of disinformation within their own elections. Social media companies have also started to recognize their own responsibility for stopping the spread of mis- and disinformation on their platforms. Facebook instituted a policy where any page that someone was operating shows the geographical location of the page operator. So what that means is if you went back to those pages that were spreading all that misinformation in 2016 and clicked on the About section, you would see that the operators were actually based in Veles, Macedonia. So that's one action that they've taken. And then increasingly, all the social media platforms have experimented with labels, where if something is verifiably not true, they try to find ways to share that so their users understand that the claim is disputed or it's outright false before they click on it and before they share it. But it's still not enough. Despite Facebook's attempts to crack down, the platform was still responsible for nearly half of the fake news shared during the Indonesian election cycle. And as we get better at recognizing and combating disinformation, so too do bad actors adapt and learn more sophisticated methods of interfering in domestic and foreign affairs. Dimitri and others in Macedonia took advantage of American voters and a capitalist system to make money. Now, governments and hacker groups have launched bigger, more sophisticated attacks on elections all around the globe. That's what's next on Like War. The international assault on democracy and how Russia's curated disinformation campaigns impacted elections in America and dozens of other countries. This is a production of iHeart Podcasts, Graphic Audio, and Goat Rodeo. Kara Schillen, that's me, is the series' lead producer. Special thanks to NBC News and Getty and XOXO, an experimental festival for independent artists who live and work online. You can find out more about NBC News' coverage of the fake news movement in Macedonia and hear Matt Fury's full talk at the 2018 XOXO Festival at the links in our show notes. This episode is just one of a seven-part series. Find other episodes wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to dive deeper into the work of P.W. Singer and Emerson Brooking, you can access the full audiobook, Like War, on which this series is based, wherever you get your audiobooks. Writing and editing from Kara Schillen. Production assistance from Isabel Kirby McGowan. Senior producers are Ian Enright and Megan Nadolsky. Please share this series with the hashtag LikeWar to find other conversations about the series. Thank you for listening.